Hello, and welcome to the Short Story Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Wolfrey. First, I would like to tell you a little bit about this being our first podcast. The reason why we're doing this podcast is because lots of folks who are writing short stories and no way to get them out there. Well, we've got a way to do that with this podcast. One of my interests are short stories, and I want to help writers who wants or needs recognition and also a chance to have their stories published out into the world for thousands or potentially millions of listeners, including book publishers and agents. This podcast is free for anyone to listen to. And if you would like to enjoy extended options, like holiday stories, children's stories, children's bedtime stories, Christian or Bible stories, true crime stories, meditation, and much more, please join our patron account. Attachment below. Thank you. And now, our story. An uncounted number of men and women have stepped up and served this country so that we might keep our freedom. We should all be thankful when we get a chance to repay them. The following story is fictional, but the service that brings fallen soldiers home is real. On Board an Angel Flight Written by Deborah Elliott and narrated by Ben Wolfrey. Fortunately, it had been a quiet flight so far. The night sky was clear and peaceful, which was a blessing, because shortly after takeoff, U.S. Air Force Captain Matthew Morrow's co-pilot had taken ill and was now in the back sleeping. Matthew had been flying angel flights as a volunteer for the last 15 years. He had made so many trips that he could probably do it in his sleep. He was one with the C-130, with nothing to distract him from the sound of the bird's engine. Old thoughts filled his head. He was positive that it was only by the grace of God that he hadn't ridden home in a box himself. The years he'd spent in Vietnam had been chocked full of close calls. To this day, he didn't know whether he'd been taking foolhardy chances with an angel on his shoulder or if he'd just managed to avoid being in the wrong places at the wrong time. There had been uncountless times when the men standing right beside him were felled, and he hadn't even been grazed at times when he had missed stepping on a landmine by inches and the man right beside him hadn't been so lucky. At any rate, he'd survived his multiple tours of duty and then made it safely back to the States. He had vowed to repay his debt of gratitude by carrying as many fallen soldiers home as he could. It was the least he could do. He snapped back to attention when the plane rattled and shuddered as it rode through the small pockets of turbulence. He straightened up in his seat, took a sip of his cold coffee. Glancing at the instrument panel, he saw that everything was as it should be. He shrugged and thought 
Sometimes God just makes his presence known with a ripple in the starry sky. Just as he reached to set his coffee down, he felt a hand on his shoulder and a voice that he didn't recognize. Sir, how long's the flight till we touch down? A surge of adrenaline shot through him when he glanced up and saw the face of a young soldier who was staring out the window. Realizing that he had a stowaway, an unpredictable situation on his hands, he carefully said, We've still got about 14 hours of flying time before we reach touchdown at Travis Air Force Base. You got a name, son? Yes, sir. I'm Private First Class Michael Winston. His stowaway obviously had lifted the name off of one of the caskets. With the co-pilot out of commission, the only thing to do was to stay level-headed and buy time until he could think of a way to secure the cockpit. He nodded to an empty seat beside him, where the co-pilot would normally be sitting, and said, Have a seat, soldier. Fourteen hours is a long time to stand. Holding out his thermos, he said, You look like you could use some coffee. Help yourself. There's an extra cup in the box by the seat. No, thank you, sir. Never learned to drink the stuff. But I'll take you up on the seat. Where do you call home, Private? The quiet stretched out for some time, but eventually the young man said, Sir, do you know how when you're marching along and taking orders and staying focused so the bastards can't sneak up on you? You lose track of time. Minutes seem like hours. Days seem like months. Your past and present are so far removed from each other that, well, you live a lot of lifetime between those breaths. Pretty soon you don't even know what year it is. He paused and took a deep breath. Rolling his hands into a fist, he clenched his teeth and answered, Best I know, I don't have a home. Realizing that the soldier was getting agitated, Matthew changed the subject. You look about to be the same age as my son. I peg you at about 24. Am I close? 23, sir. Been marching now for three years. After high school, I spent five years doing every dumb thing you can think of. And then me and two of my buddies had, had too many drinks. And we walked right into the recruiter's office and signed on. It was accidentally one of the smartest things I've ever did. Serving is an honor. Matthew wondered how the soldier went from thinking that joining the army was a smart thing compared to running away from it and stowing away on his plane. But for now, that would have to remain an unanswered question. Matthew said to the soldier, I guess if I looked back at my beginnings, I could tell pretty much the same story. But we all start out young and dumb. But war, war, sobers us up. Yes, sir. <clears throat> well, how about angel flats? I know you only carry heroes home. I, I don't belong here. 
Son, what makes you think that? What makes you think that you're not a hero? Heroes don't cry, said the soldier. Matthew shook his head and said, Where the hell did you get that idea? The soldier said, It, it was a Saturday. I knew that because Pa and I always went to the Hall's Hardware on Saturdays. That was the one day of the week things were on sale. We always walked there because Pa said we both needed to exercise. A block away from the hardware store was a crosswalk. And that day I saw a car coming down the street. But there was a kitty cat in the street and I just knew he was going to get hit. I jumped off the curb to save it. But I didn't make it in time. My paw was right behind me. I was sobbing, and he grabbed me up by the back of my pants. We didn't go to the hardware store that day because he was so angry. He marched me right back home, laid the mother of all whippings on me, and made it clear that if I ever tried to be a hero again, that he'd take another layer of hide right off me. He grabbed my face and looked in my eyes and said, Some hero you are with those baby tears on your face. Now get to your chores. He shrugged his shoulders and said softly, I'm just not the hero type. I bawled like a baby every single time one of my bullets kills. Can you believe that? I cried over the enemy. My pa was right. Can I tell you something, soldier? From, from a father's perspective. Of course, sir. It's the way your pa worded that, what he said to you, that makes me think that what happened that day in the crosswalk was that you scared him to death. You thought the car was going to hit the cat. And your pa thought it was going to hit you. The adrenaline that filled his body at that moment made it look like something it wasn't. I think he was proud of you for wanting to be a hero. He just whipped you to make it clear that he didn't want you to take such chances anymore. The soldier turned and looked at Matthew. There was confusion etched on his face. I don't mean to be disrespectful, sir, but there's a big difference between me crying over a dead cat when I was 12 years old and crying over an enemy as a grown man. Is there? Uh, think about it. Tell me the difference. After a few moments of thought, the soldier said, I don't know. I guess I just figured that a man should be able to control his tears. Matthew closed his eyes for a few seconds to control his own tears. And then he said, I've been carrying heroes home for 14 years now. And once I land, I attend every single funeral. And when I give that soldier a last salute, there's always tears running down my face. No one makes it through that 21-gun salute with a dry face. Every strong, brave soldier 
in attendance cries. I think that as a man, you don't separate people by their cause. I think you cry because it's painful to take a life. And you'd rather save lives than take them. That makes you a hero in my book. Now with tears of relief running down his face, the soldier's voice barely above a whisper, he said, My home is 127 Riverdale Drive in Valley Springs. Please tell my pa that I miss going to the Hall's Hardware with him and, and tell him that I love him. Tell him that Private First Class Michael Winston always did his best and that he's happy to finally be home. Matthew took a deep breath and silently held it for a moment or so to regain his control of his emotions. Matthew didn't hear his co-pilot enter the cockpit, so he was just startled by his voice. Captain, I'm feeling better. If you want to get up and stretch your legs, I can handle the landing. Matthew nodded and stood up as the co-pilot slid down into the empty seat. Thanks. I could use a stretch. As he made his way back to where the four flag draped coffins were lined up, Matthew knew every angel flight to be special, each one a source of honor. But this flight was the one that Matthew would never forget because God had entrusted him with a mission and he knew he hadn't failed at it. Reverently laying his hand on the Winston casket, he said, Private First Class Michael Winston, you are a hero on board an angel flight, and I am honored to be instructed with such an important message. I will be personally delivering this message to your pa. Welcome home, soldier. Thank you for listening to this story, On Board an Angel Flight, written by Deborah Elliott and narrated by Ben Wolfrey. Good night.